chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. Again, the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. Right, y'all, y'all have to follow along with me then. This is the word of the Lord. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him and departed, had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. I would like to take this opportunity to introduce to you our guest speaker. He uh, is originally from Atlanta, but has been working with Operation Mobilization for over 38 years, which is incredible. He has a great passion for uh, mobilizing and working with pastors and church leadership all around the world. Uh, One little fun fact, his wife Rita is actually from the Netherlands, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, He also led the mission team um, that Pastor Lily participated in this past year to India. Um, And so he can tell you a little bit more about that in his message. So please give a warm welcome to Keith Haywood. And um, there we go. Now, and I'm really excited to be here. Um, it was a joy to lead that trip to India. Um, India is very dear to my heart. When God called me into missions, he used the country of India to break my heart for the people of the world. And for the last eight years, I've had the privilege of bringing pastors and church leaders to India to see what God is doing there and to help their churches get involved. And so it was a great joy to have Pastor Lily on that trip and to realize that uh, she was a former OMer. Uh, we served on the same ship uh, together, not at the same time. Uh, but I must say, one of the highlights of my trip um, in January was hearing Pastor Lily's testimony. If you've never heard her testimony, you need to ask her because uh, it's a very powerful testimony of the mercy of God in our lives. And uh, her testimony moved me greatly. And I'm also very thankful that she's feeling better and trust that she will also continue to improve. Well, this morning I want to share with you um, from Acts chapter 10. It's a very interesting passage and a very strategic passage when it comes to the role of the church and the purpose of the church in this world. Um, And so 
one way the Bible describes the purpose of the church and our witness as believers in Jesus Christ is that we are to shine our light, the truth of Christ in this world where we live, where we work, where we go to school. And one illustration of punching holes in the darkness which is what the church is called to do. We live in a world that is governed by the God of this world, Satan, who rules in a reign of darkness, and the role of the church is offensive, moving into the world to share the light of Christ. And a great illustration of that comes from the cinema. You know, coming to Los Angeles, I couldn't resist uh, this theme this morning. Um, but um, amazingly, actually, Georgia is now big into movie making. I don't know if you knew that. The movie Black Panther just netted $1 billion. That was filmed in Georgia. And in the county where I live, we have uh, a new huge movie studio. But the cinema is something that captures imag imaginations around the world. Before the movie begins, the house lights are dimmed, and the room is filled with darkness. We've all experienced that at some point, and suddenly the projector shoots forth a beam of light, and pictures fill the screen. And we're all familiar with that three-line word that every director uses when filming a movie, lights, camera, action. These three ver words convey the work of God in our lives and in our situations as well. First, there is the light. The light is represented by the Word of God. The Bible says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's Scripture that illuminates our minds and our lives, and as we share God's Word, God says it will not return void. And then there's the camera, preserving the movements, the dialogue, and the background, recording everything related to the motion picture that is our lives. This is the work of God's Holy Spirit. And then the action is the scenes of our lives as believers in this world daily lived out before God and before others in the world. God is our heavenly director using the lights and the camera, His Word and His Spirit to produce His work in people and in nations. This morning we read that passage from Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. And in a sense, that is Act 1. We see this man, Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion stationed in the city of Caesarea Maritima in the north part of Israel. It was a Roman seat of government in the province of Judea. And so there were a lot of Roman soldiers that were stationed there. And a centurion, as the word says, it means 100, 
a centurion supervised 100 men within a cohort of 600 that was part of a regiment of 6,000 men. And so in this city were 6,000 Roman soldiers, and Cornelius was one of them supervising 100 other soldiers. Interesting, a centurion made five times more money than an ordinary soldier made. So Cornelius would have been a prominent person and more well-off in society there in Caesarea. The Bible says that Cornelius was a devout man. He was godly. He was pious. And his whole household followed him in that attitude of life. Cornelius had embraced the worship of the one true God. He had come from Rome as a soldier, moved to Israel, and saw the way that the Israelites worshiped God. And he liked that. He decided that he too wanted to live his life and worship that God even without becoming a full Jew. <clears throat> and thirdly, Cornelius was a charitable man. He was very generous. And the Bible says he made many donations to the Jewish people and to the things that they were involved with. It was buildings. It was giving to the poor. He was a generous and charitable person. And so at 3 p.m. one day, the Jews always prayed at that time, and Cornelius had adopted that practice at well, as well. He was praying, and he had a vision of an angel. And the angel said to him, Go to send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is named Peter, to come to your house. Cornelius was a man of prayer. And the Bible talks about him being a, it being a memorial prayer to the Lord. It's like Cornelius was sending up uh, memos to God, and God heard those memos and answered him. And so that is act number one, scene number one, Cornelius praying as a devout person, seeking God. An angel appears, send down to Joppa for Peter and have him come up and he's going to tell you a message. <clears throat> but then we have Act 2. In chapter 10, verses 9 to 23, here's another story, and here the scene is of Peter. And I'll paraphrase this, because as Cornelius' men were nearing the house of Simon, the Bible says Peter... Uh, was getting hungry and wanted to eat lunch. I'm sure many of you are getting to that place as well, uh, but lunch is still a ways off. But Peter was hungry, and so he went up to the roof while they were making lunch. And on the roof, the Bible says he fell into a trance, and he had a vision as well. And in his vision, he saw a big sheet being let down from heaven with all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds that Jewish people were not allowed to eat or touch. 
But a voice came to him and said, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Eat those animals. Eat those reptiles. Eat those birds. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times. And so Peter was greatly perplexed. He was clueless. What did this vision mean? I have no idea what this is about. And at that very time, the men who Cornelius had sent showed up at the door and knocked on the door and said, Is there a guy named Simon Peter here? And they said, Yes, he's here. And they told the story that Cornelius had had a vision and had been sent here. And the Holy Spirit, Peter's on the roof. God says to him, three men are looking for you. Go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them. And so Peter goes down and says, I'm the one you're looking for. And so they told him why they had come. And after spending the night, the next day, they went. So here you have Peter. Peter was a fisherman, right? A rough Jewish fisherman, used to going out on the boats and hauling nets, cleaning fish, a really rough kind of guy. And Jesus had called him, leave your nets, leave your boats, come and follow me. And Jesus had transformed Peter from a fisherman into somebody who was fishing for men, for God. A church leader. And Peter was there in Joppa as a part of a ministry tour of coastal areas after the believers had been scattered from Jerusalem because of the persecution after Stephen's martyrdom. And so at lunchtime, there he is, and he has this vision. And that word is ecstasy. He's like in a different state of mind when he has this encounter, this powerful vision that God gave him. And God said to him, get up, kill, and eat three times. What God has made clean... You must not call common, polluted, defiled, unclean. And so Peter, even though he didn't know what the vision meant, he obeyed. And he went with those men without any misgivings. That is an amazing statement. Without any doubts at all, he went, and only because of the vision and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And that word, <clears throat> without misgivings, means without discrimination. Without discrimination, and that's very important in this story. So I want you to notice one thing. Here's Act 1, Cornelius sees a vision at the time of prayer. Here's Peter, Act 2, sees a vision as he's praying on the rooftop. 
These were men of prayer. They regularly were found in prayer. And there in prayer, God met with them. God spoke to them. God did great things through them. And as believers, if we want to have that power of God and hear the voice of God, we have to make time to be people of prayer. Is prayer part of your normal practice in the day? As you start your day, as you go through your day, as you end your day, that there's a time when you get before God and just spend time with Him, praising Him, but listening to His voice and for His voice to direct you. When I was a teenager, I had just graduated high school myself. And I was not ready for college. I knew God was calling me to serve Him, but I didn't know what that looked like. And I just felt like it was something to do with Bible college. And so I took a year off after high school, and I got a job. And I just started praying. And every day I'd get on my, beside my bed, kneel down with my Bible open, God Please guide my steps. Show me where you want me to go. Open the doors. And in that year, a lady came to our town and opened a Bible bookstore, and she gave my mother a book called Reese Howell's Intercessor. And it's about Reese Howell's, a Welsh evangelist who started a Bible school in 1921. And in the back of the book were four pages that talked about the college. And so as I was praying, I started reading through the four pages in the back of the book. And as I did, God just spoke to me and said, that's the place I want you to go. Never heard of it before, going to Wales. I was 18 years old. But I was so sure that's what God wanted. I applied. I got accepted. And when I was 18, I got on a plane in Atlanta, got off in London, somehow made it to Swansea, Wales, and cried for three days. I was so homesick. But in that Bible college, which was actually a missionary training college, God called me to serve him in missions. God connected and brought my wife and I together at that college. And that's where I heard of the ministry of Operation Mobilization. In prayer, God used four pages in a book to totally change the direction of my life. And it's the little things like that as we're walking with God, God will use those to lead us and guide us. And then we have Act 3. So the next day, Peter goes with the men, and he shows up at Cornelius' house. And uh, he says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. And that's why I came for you without any objection. And then Peter 
the Bible says, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And then he begins to preach the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross and was resurrected on the third day. And it says, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message. And then they baptized them. Wow. This is an incredible scene. Here is Peter going into the home of a Roman centurion, a fisherman turned church leader, going into the household of this man, and he had called all of his family and friends and neighbors together, and Peter shows up. And in the Jewish uh, world, Peter is actually doing criminal activity. It is not lawful for me to come to your house. So that would be like you going in prayer and God calling you through a vision to go to a drug lord's house to share the gospel. Normally it would be illegal to associate with those people or an arms dealer. And yet it took a vision that powerful for Peter to understand this truth. God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. So the lesson here is about Peter's view of people, not eating animals. That's not what the vision was about. God was challenging. God was changing his perspective about the people in the world. Those who were considered rejected, unworthy of salvation, were actually accepted by God in objects of His mercy and grace. The Gentiles of that day were viewed upon as dogs, dogs, low. And that so reminds me of the Dalits of India. In the caste system, they are told you are not human. You are lower than the animals. And they're discriminated against. They're, they're oppressed. The word Dalit means crushed. One in every four Indians subjected to that kind of discrimination and humiliation. And that's how the Jews looked at the Gentiles. They were not worthy to be loved by God or receive His salvation. But they were wrong. They didn't understand God's plan revealed in the Scriptures from Genesis forward that God had a plan to bring His Son into the world that He would, he would die for the sins of the whole world because God so loved the world that He gave His only Son and in our day, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, adherents of other religions are often considered undeserving, unworthy of God's love and forgiveness. 
the way we can look at them ourselves can be wrong. Because if you think of it, they are really prisoners of war of Satan. They have been deceived, and they are being held captive by him. And until the Word of God and the Spirit of God moves into their lives and transforms them, they're just like we were before we received the Lord Jesus Christ. And today many are having dreams and visions of Jesus that lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's incredible uh, reality that we see in the world today. In Algeria, where over 100,000 Kabyle Berber Muslims have come to faith, one man in particular uh, was struggling physically, and he was having a very hard time, and nobody was able to help him. And one night, this man, in his sleep, he dreamed a phone number. And when he woke up the next morning, he couldn't get the phone number out of his mind. And he kept talking to his wife about it. And he was calling off the number, and his wife finally got fed up and said, Look, just call the number. So he picked up his phone, he dialed the number, and on the other end of the line, somebody picked up and said, Hello, this is Rashid. And Rashid happened to be one of the OM church planters in Algeria and began to talk with him about his struggles and his difficulties. And on the phone that day, Rashid led that man to accept Jesus Christ and later went to his home and they started a Bible study in his home and neighbors began to come because he dreamed a phone number. Did you know the Holy Spirit knows your phone number? So be careful, eh? <clears throat> All around the Muslim world, I could tell you so many stories, but time does not allow us to do that. Last year, we know of 250 Muslims that came to faith in Greece, refugees who through the ministry of churches and organizations put their trust in Christ, and they're sharing their faith with other Muslims as well. Is there a person, is there a group that you consider unclean or unworthy of receiving the salvation offered by God in Christ? If there is, I hope you will re-examine your heart and ask God to change you and give you this perspective that he gave to Peter. Why did you sin for me, Peter said, to hear everything you've been commanded by the Lord. And Peter said, now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism. He's not partial. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. He said, all the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. I share this message a lot in churches around our country, and often people will come to me and say, why should we go over there to India, to the Muslim world, to Africa, when there's so much need here? And there is need here, right? There's a lot of need in our nation today. There's a lot of need in our communities. It's not about need because the need is the same. 
whether you're from America or China or Saudi Arabia or North Korea, the need is the same. We all need the knowledge and saving grace of Jesus Christ. We all need forgiveness of sins, to be regenerated by His Holy Spirit. But the truth is that the accessibility is not the same. While all people equally need the gospel, the gospel is not equally accessible to all people. And that is what drives me. That is what drives operation mobilization. And this was a watershed moment for the church in Acts. It was repeated, the same story, if you look in the Word, it's repeated again in Acts 11. Peter tells the story, and in Acts 15, the, the church council refers to this event as giving the church the understanding that the gospel is for the whole world. And I can tell you there are many churches today who still don't understand that. The gospel is for the whole world. And God pulled back the curtain to reveal His plan for Jew and Gentile. God has a plan for all the people of the world that they would know Him through Jesus Christ and worship Him. The truth is God loves everyone. And He wants everyone to have an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. He wants the Dalits to have a chance. He wants the Muslim peoples to have a chance. No, it's not easy. No, we have an enemy. No, there's opposition. But Jesus died on the cross and has commanded us to go into all the world. And Oswald Smith said, why should anyone hear the gospel twice until everyone's had the chance to hear it once. Sixty years ago, when Operation Mobilization started, we estimate there were 1.8 billion people with little or no access to the gospel. Today, that's approaching 3 billion. And this little graph, um, it's hard to see. Well, that's easier to see. But you can see that change. Every day, 57,000 people are added to that number of unreached, which means the church is not keeping up with population growth. And we need to do some things differently if we're going to get the message of the gospel to the whole world. And if you're a believer in Christ, you've been given gifts talents, abilities, resources to help advance the cause of Christ locally and globally around the world, inside the walls of your church and outside the walls of your church as well. Operation Mobilization traces its roots to an ordinary housewife. Many people know our founder, George Verwer. He's a very dynamic outgoing person, but it was Dorothea Clapp who lived across the street from Ramsey High School in Ramsey, New Jersey, who prayed for that school for more than 15 years that God would save the students and that some of them would become 
missionaries. She put a gospel of John in George Verwer's mailbox and prayed for him. A few weeks later, at a Billy Graham meeting in New York City, George gave his life to Christ. He went on to start this movement, Operation Mobilization. It's estimated more than one billion people have received the gospel through OM in over 60 years of ministry. But it started with a housewife who believed in prayer. And God wants to use each of us through our prayers, through our giving, through our going, through partnership, because the church is the answer. And who is the church? If we point our fingers at ourselves, we are the church. You and I are the church, and it's our responsibility to take that gospel into the world. <clears throat> I close with this story of a young girl named Elizabeth. Elizabeth Stroop was nine years old, and she was sitting in the missions conference one day with her parents. And after the preacher spoke, he invited the people to come forward and make a commitment to the Lord. And Elizabeth got up and went to the altar, and she put a piece of paper on the altar and went back to her seat. And later her father asked her, Elizabeth, what, what was on the paper that you left up there on the altar? Elizabeth said, Daddy, I know I'm young. I don't know what God wants to do with my life yet. But she said, I took that piece of paper and I wrote the word yes on it. And I placed that piece of paper on the altar to say to God, no matter what you call me to do, my answer is already yes. And so this morning, I would ask you, have you put your yes on the altar before God, whatever He calls you to do, wherever He calls you to go, even to Kyrgyzstan, that you will say yes, that you will be obedient to Him because that's the only response that we can give is to be obedient and step out in faith to take the light of His Word and apply it in our lives to trust His camera, His Holy Spirit, who is working in us and wants to work through us and to move into action for the heavenly director to fulfill His plans and His purpose for you. Will you put your yes on the altar? Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for revealing your truth to us that you love all the people of the world. And Lord, I pray for this church that you would continue to use them as a beacon, as a light, as a testimony, as a witness to the nations nearby and far away. And that God, you would continue to call people out of this church to serve you. And that you would use this congregation in the great movie that you are making for your glory in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.